1: Hi, this is Tanya Pinkins, and you're listening to my podcast. You can't say that. It's the podcast where you can on the Broadway Podcast Network. There is nothing I love more than talent. Oh, it just thrills me, it gets me high, it just is like electricity in my body. And I experienced that last night when I saw the new West Side Story in its first preview on Broadway. And that's the same way I feel about my next guest. I got to see 12 hours of his 24-hour musical project. Please join me in welcoming the inimitable Taylor Mapp. So this is Tanya Pinkins, and uh, it's the You Can't Say That podcast, the show where you can, on the Broadway Podcast Network, and as happens when you're in a beautiful space looking out at the New York skyline, and my guests come in, we get to talking, so I'm already in the midst of a great conversation with my (laughs) wonderful guest today, artist, performance artist, playwright, singer, songwriter, director, choreographer... (laughs) Taylor Mac. So let's Maybe just pick back up with the gift. We were talking about this book, The Gift. Tell me about it. I feel like I read it a long time ago, but what is yeah, it?
2: I forget who wrote it, but it, uh, um, it's about it, it, he. It, it's about the gift exchange economy as opposed to the commodities exchange com- commodity, and how we're living in this commodities exchange commodity. And I would say that we he he, uh, used an example in one part of the book about, um, underoos, remember underoos and, um, the, the little, um, toys and Burger King, the Burger King started right, right, that. Right, And what they were doing is they were commodifying the bond between the parent and the child. Mm. So they did a study. They realized that, uh, that children, um, uh, though usually though the person who decides when the parent is tired after co- coming home from work what uh, <laughs> where they were going to eat where the family is going to eat and so if they could get to the child then the child will say Burger King and so then that so they put these toys they said it they presented it like a you know um, it's basically a um, uh, they presented it like uh, just a gift or something right. like that but it actually is um <laughs> a it's kind of a little exchange. addiction right hey we get yeah. your kid
1: wants to come back to get the next gift and now we got you coming here because your yeah. kid is actually dictating this choice
2: right and so what they're doing is that so that and and they put the the underoos that they sold them in the supermarket because that was the study said that that's the, the time when the child is with the mother the most is they're not they don't normally go to the department store or something with them, but they will go to the supermarket. So they put the Andrews in the supermarket so the kid could say, I want that. So the whole the, the whole exchange, the bond between the mother and the child is turned into a commodity for them. It's just the more, I mean, it's the most horrible thing ever. But but it's a wonderful book because it really f- frames how what the alternatives could be and um, and how we can live in a gift exchange e- economy if we set our minds to it. You
1: well, know? that also is about like the different websites you can go to where there's just this exchange of of, of things like free stuff and yeah. you can, people are giving away things and you can, if you go pick them up, you can get cars, you can get all uh-huh. kinds of things that people, furniture, whatever, where people are like, we're not selling, we are offering things and there's this way we're preventing litter, etc. by just exchanging things with yeah. other people that, who have and, the need of the thing and, we no longer desire. And
2: you know, Jackson, Mississippi is the lead in that right now. Really? Yeah. There's all these activists that are down there really changing that. I forget what
1: collaborative it's, what... consumption.
2: Uh collaborative, yes, but it's like it's basically a bunch of co-ops that are, you know, exchanging um, amongst each other. And I don't really know the
1: details of it. So
2: but yeah. I'm curious to find out. So if you see me on the street, please tell me about it if you know. <laughs> yeah.
1: The other piece that, you know, this thing about what they're doing with the kids brought up for me is I don't know if you ever heard of this woman, Charlotte Isserby. Mm-mm. Charlotte Isserby, she may not even be alive anymore, but um she was the head of the Department of Education under Ronald Reagan. Mm-hmm. And that was when they were thinking of getting rid of the Department of Education. And so she had
2: this time. What a wonderful idea.
1: Yes. Well, they're going to do Let's it again. let get
2: rid of education.
1: Let's, they're going to do it. Um, and it, it. You know, it was black people who said we need compulsory education. So they're yeah. like, well, how can we? She spent her time uh, trying to figure out What was the purpose of the Department of Education in the first place? And what she came, what she discovered in looking through the documents in this building that she was now in control of, was that the purpose of the Department of Education was to create compliant citizens. Uh huh. And they first thought that that could happen No, that's what the documentation said. uh uh That they were following a Prussian system, and that the first thing they thought would create compliant citizens was war. And so then World War One happened, and they killed all these people, and there was all this trauma. They're like, "Oh well, that doesn't work." <laughs> <laughs> but they tried it again. And they tried. No. So then they said, "Well, what they realized was some people wouldn't be compliant citizens." So they had to figure right. out who those people were. I think you and I would probably fall into I that list. I think so. And that they had to um, find out who those people were, and then they had to track them out of the system. So whether that was into the military, or into jail, or whatever. Uh-huh. And she said that was the beginning of no reading, writing, and, and arithmetic, but just other courses with fancy names. And she said she realized that she was one of those people who wouldn't ever be a, com- a compliant citizen. So she said then they went a little further, and they realized well, that wasn't enough or fast enough, and they realized that you couldn't have a compliant citizen if they had an authority other than the government. So that began this period of um, breaking the parent-child bond. Charter schools. Well, breaking the parent-child authority bond and Uh defreezing values. Because if there was absolute rights and wrongs, then the government didn't have the ability to say, no, this is right and this is wrong. Even, you know, your parents can't tell you that. The government sets it and they set it as they please. And she said that moved into this idea that you can only create... A compliant citizen, if you can control the neurology. And that was this move that we're in right now, which is towards bookless education. Because they realized that with a real book, you're engaging and your brain is active. But anything on a screen, it's passive reception. Yeah. So you could get people to engage with the surface, be it a game or a questionnaire, and you could passively be sending them anything you wanted. Yeah. And that's what it made me think about Burger King, you know, because the surveillance <laughs> capitalism is about how this thing moved from online into the world where they're constantly collecting our data Tracking our gestures, everything we're doing, and predicting what we're going to do—like they've hacked us.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm feeling they have hacked us. <laughs> and I, I'm—we're sitting here in this amazing apartment, looking at a, 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 a smidgen of the New York skyline because those buildings are so big around us. And I'm thinking that I—I uh, I forget where I read this, but uh, it is the, the the saying goes that uh, you can tell. Um, what a society is ruled by, by uh, what the tallest building is. Really? So it used to be the church, the cathedrals were the tallest building, right? Uh, or, uh, and then it was, it used to be the castles, and then it was the cathedrals. And and now, today, it's, uh, <laughs> well, for a while, yeah, so it used to be the government building, then it was the, the church, and now, of course, it's the corporate building. So corporate our, buildings. our entire lives are run by... <laughs> These giant buildings around us right now.
1: Yeah, that is that they they have more money than governments have.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh. And we
1: got we got uh, some
2: construction going on. We have non-stop construction going on.
1: And, that's, <laughs> but I heard that the New York real estate market market has collapsed.
2: Okay, except they're still making all their money. I mean, they, it's not collapsed. I mean, look at it. <laughs> the people, are, there's non. There's more construction happening right now than there ever has been, and that's the thing that I find. Oh God, we're all we're we're going at it now, but that's the thing I find so. Um, fascinating uh, about the current race for the presidency and the current conversation is uh, 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 especially regarding Elizabeth Warren and and the economy and she she wants to tax people at a lower rate rich people at a lower rate Elizabeth Warren does yeah she wants to tax them at a lower rate than we taxed rich people in the 70s and they're saying that it's some radical thing. They're framing her like a radical. And I think she just wants us to be reasonable. <laughs> it's so interesting to me right. that the, 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 the language of hyperbole as activism, you know. I mean, hyperbole is activism. It's agenda, you know, so.
1: Well, have you looked at this book, Winners Take All? Mm-mm. That is a whole book about how the elite have now taken social justice and they use it as PR. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> yeah. so they do some good for a community, and now they right. have control over the social justice movement, and they 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 decide who are the yeah. leaders, and the, then yeah, they make it work out of to make sure justice. that they they are still kept in power. You know, we have all these philanthropic <laughs> companies and organizations, and yet we've seen the greatest wealth transfer since the French Revolution. Yeah, you know, has happened in our lifetime, and yeah. I, that interests me because you were talking on an interview that I listened to you about. This idea that um, during the AIDS epidemic, the conservative uh, gay people were made spokespersons and that sort of changed the agenda of what people who were suffering were actually going through. uh,
2: Sarah Schulman book called Gentrification of the Mind, which it made absolute sense when I read it, which um, her theory is that... uh, uh, all the radical, um, imaginative, creative leader, thinkers um, either died of AIDS or were so traumatized by all their friends dying of AIDS that they had to take a step back and heal. And, and so there was this opening for leadership. And so the new leaders were assigned by heterosexuals and they were chosen, they were people who the heterosexuals felt comfortable with. So, and agendas that the heterosexuals felt comfortable with. So they, they chose people who were going to really advocate for gay marriage and gays in the military, which was never something that are, are the queer leaders that kind of came up from the ground up. Um, who were, were interested in, you know, it was not something that any of the community was talking about before, and suddenly it was the most important thing, and that was a result of AIDS.
1: That, that's fascinating, because it, it it feels akin to the fact that in Native American cultures, you uh, speak your opinion, not speaking is as powerful a statement as speaking. And so uh-huh. the people that the uh, America's made treaties with were the people who came and spoke, who were this small minority of people when the majority of Native people did not speak, which was their no, we don't want a treaty with you. And so we have this history of relations and agreements with a group of people who have a different understanding of what language means and we just ignored their language yeah. You
2: know? yeah 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 there's a part in 24 Decade that we do where uh, the, uh, this uh, Native American uh, two spirits uh, person um, is going to a, a missionary school <laughs> for the first time and uh, and she he uh, she uses the pronoun she <laughs> she 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 thinks that to be respectful you say and you listen and, and you consider and you wonder for a very long time before you answer. And the teacher interprets that as slow. And so she's, she's labeled, you know, unintelligent instead of actually somebody who considers, you know, because they're, <laughs> right? So that's, I mean, that's the thing I, I'm trying to do. And it's funny to say that on a, on a, a podcast where I'm asked about to talk, but, but I'm trying to just take my time to consider things more and not just, you know, I feel like there's this plague of opinions in the world and I'm just, how can I just be a little bit more Socratic method about things? Just ask more questions and just wonder for a long time. (laughs)
1: Yeah. And that, that reminds me of the fact that, you know, when they, when they actually did a deeper sort of analysis of why are Asians supposedly better at math than Americans? What they found was that Americans spend about 10 minutes and then they can't figure it out and they move on. And Asians are like, they just sit with it until something clicks. And that might be 45 minutes. They're Uh not in a hurry and they're not deciding that it didn't come to me quickly. So I Mm. can't do it. They're like, okay, well let me just wrestle with this for a lot longer time than an American is willing to wrestle with something they don't get.
2: We like to fake it till
1: we make it. Yeah. And it, and it, we sell it to the world.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Well, I, I am actually sort of very positive about it because I do think that, there is uh, an evolutionary force inside of everything that is always moving towards higher levels of order. Even what looks like destruction to us is some other creation coming forward. I I just believe that, so um, it keeps me sane. You know, yeah. looking to see what w- what is what is birthing out of this. You know, a lightning storm or the decay of a tree. It's now nurturing a whole forest of new trees yeah. that are going to
2: happen. Yeah. Yeah, we had a huge fire up in our. <laughs> I have a country place because I'm fancy now, uh, and we had a huge fire and um, uh, almost burned the house down and Whoa. like you know, but, but burned down. I mean, uh, uh, about a hundred trees and wow. uh, and but within a year. I mean, there's you still see the charcoal dead trees are up everywhere and everything, but within a year, it, it's you're seeing new life come to it. So it does give you hope, and change is a good thing, and all that stuff. <laughs> but also, the tragedy is real. You know? yeah, yeah, I
1: don't. I think that that's to me what truth is to me is that it can hold polarities. Mm-hmm. You know that the tragedy is real. And the new birth is real too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're both yeah. real, and they are both the truth.
2: Well, and there's—I mean—since tragedy is inevitable, uh, <laughs> like we might as well try to figure out what to do with it, right? That's the—that's the only way to live. Like, how do you live a virtuous life in an unvirtuous world, right? Is like the—is the question I just. Continually ask over and over. Since I did that play, A Good Person of Sheshuwan, which that's the main question of the play is how do you live a virtuous life in an unvirtuous world, and um, and I just I just keep going back to that. You know, I, I, someone asked me recently about uh, um, the GOP and Trump and 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 saying, well, don't we have to um, listen to their side of things, and don't we have to see, and and aren't you aren't you um, just as bad as they are if you don't listen. I said, no, 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 because they lie. So they know they are lying. We know they're lying. (laughs) They know we know they're lying. (laughs) So it's not an actual debate. It's not an actual conversation. It's uh, somebody listening to and trying to engage in with lies. So that is an unvirtuous world. What we have to do is try to figure out how to live virtuously within that unvirtuous world. And what's fascinating about the hearings is to see how everyone's trying to do it. You know, some people are... Um, uh, placating some people are uh, trying to get every detail, all the information. Some people are some people are go to their superiors and try to get their superiors to deal with it. You know, everyone's navigating how to live in this crazy, unvirtuous world. <laughs> That's it's it's super fascinating to me.
1: I'm going to ask Beatrice: Are we going to have to redo this whole thing? Like, no, I think we're going to be able to just like because the volume of the mics are. Okay. I just don't okay. want to like have sat here and talked to you for an hour and, <laughs> and they're like, Oh mur, yeah, we couldn't do any mur. of that. Um,
2: <laughs> I think... but, but the mer sound is <laughs> the
1: unvirtuous world <laughs> um, right. coming well, in. <laughs> well, I feel like that's what the appeal of uh, the walking dead is mm. like in, in this area where the antihero is in most of the shows. Like, you know, we yeah. like all these characters who are just crooked and rotten yeah. and um, the, in the walking dead, it's, a world where zombies are forever. When you die, you become one, and yet people are trying to figure out how to live, how to raise their children, how yeah. to be good people when zombies are forever. I mean, to me, that is the appeal of the zombie world for me. It I is love the zombies, zombies is are metaphor. the metaphor for anything uh. bad in anybody's world.
2: <laughs> yeah. I just I'm
1: I'm a big zombie fan. I'm a big zombie just, fan. Did you know I was a zombie on Fear of the Walking Dead? I did know that actually. We I
2: forgot it. Me, but how I was Martha the, the Filthy woman. I've seen woman. every episode.
1: Oh yeah, I, <laughs> I loved mean, it.
2: They bore me. I, if I'm totally honest, at this point, I'm like, okay, now it feels. Yeah, like they're they not it, coming into. It's just a soap it. opera, but. I'm
1: like, when are they going to come back to the talking zombies? There were talking zombies in like the original <laughs> zombie movies, and nobody's doing talking zombies again. Uh,
2: they tried. Who they did? tried this season? I think or last season or something. Those weren't
1: real zombies. Those were people dressed people in zombie dressed clothes. As zombies. They were trying to do like talk.
2: Yeah, they thought it would be cheesy to have them actually talk so they yeah they made us
1: uh, no 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 remember they, in they um, to. Return of the Living Dead the, the zombies killed the ambulance people and they're like send more paramedics <laughs> or people were like they they like put these hooks in the zombie and they're like why do you try to eat our brains and she was like the pain the pain <laughs> of being dead you can feel being dead yes and brains oh, leave the gorgeous. pain of being dead you know oh, oh. did you so you had fun being on that show it was the most exciting thing I've ever done on television. Really? I dreamed of it. I told my agents when I met <laughs> them, anything zombie, I want to be on it. And when yes. I got it, it was like, yes, this is what I want to do. It was the first time on television that I got to be the, quote, star for a moment, uh-huh. for a day, because I was uh-huh. the villain. And so I got to be a villain. And it was like, oh, this is what this is like. I like this. Now I've experienced that. I can move on and try to do yeah, something yeah, else yeah. in my life.
2: Isn't that interesting? That I find that fascinating. That thing where like you have this obsession, you have you want to do this thing, and and it, sometimes I go. The thing that I wanted when I was fourteen is not necessarily what I want now, <laughs> Can, right. but you, the obsession is there, and you can't let it go until you you do it. Yep. it's so it's so. Fascinating you got to have that me. thing that
1: you want, you know. Yeah, it's like when yeah. I want a specific thing to eat; nothing is going to satisfy that itch until it's that thing. That thing. Yeah, and, and then, then you, you have realize, to get your yeah,
2: I don't want that.
1: <laughs> well, you did want it, and you <laughs> At had the it, moment. and you found out. Okay, that was uh, enough.
2: Yeah, you know, yeah, moving on to the yeah, next thing now. Yeah. Yeah. that's how i felt about broadway
1: <laughs> me too <laughs> i always tell people i know you think broadway used to be all in and in all but it, it, there are some other things I know. There are some there's some other there's things there's so, a but really you gotta go won- find that out for yourself <laughs> I know. there's
2: a wonderful world out there of performance and there's thrilling stuff and they
1: don't even make you work as hard <laughs> Well, you brought us to Broadway, so you know. <laughs> oh, you, yeah, yeah. I know some things about your show, oh, Gary, and girl. I want to talk about them because mm. most people don't even know about them.
2: I know, but oh, I don't know if I feel comfortable talking. Well, <laughs> well we could talk If We, we it. talk
1: about it, and if you find that it, it isn't, we'll cut it out. If, if okay. we talk about something, and you're like, "Oh no, we can't say that," but right. you know, I saw Gary, and I saw it in previews, and you had yeah. shared with me, and George shared with me that there was supposed to be a moment of a live. Black baby yeah. at the end of the play that yeah. didn't that most people never got to see. I think one audience got to see it.
2: One audience, yeah.
1: So tell yeah. us about the impulse of that. Well,
2: um, I wanted there to be a moment at the end of the play where uh, the end of the play is different every night, dictated by something that um, uh, can't, can't be control. controlled.
1: Yes. You
2: know, and I wanted that to um, I wanted that to be a black baby <laughs> because it, because in Titus Andronicus there's a black baby and. Uh, and I wanted uh, all the characters have to have to cede their control to um, mm. to something and the audience to something that might scare them that might um, make them nervous for the baby uh, that made them question the ethics of even having a baby on stage uh, that, um, that wasn't there to make them feel sentimental necessarily. Maybe it might one night. It might be cute, and everyone goes, "Ah, you know." <laughs> okay, that's how that night ended. But I wanted the show to end differently every single night, and um, and the the circumstances of uh, of our rehearsal process was was such that we basically were in panic mode from from the start, and there was just. Uh, it was. It wasn't prioritized to rehearse with the baby, and so then the baby got thrown in on the last minute, and people um, didn't feel comfortable and didn't know how to re- didn't know how to handle the improv of that moment, um, and the delicacy and the responsibility of holding mm-hmm. a baby. It's. It would be scary, uh, I would think. Um, the irony, though, is that there was another baby in the same season uh, in that Irish oh, play. Yes. You know, a, a cute little white baby that always. Um, Performed cute, you know, and the whole and the whole audience went ah every single night, which was just um, to me cloying, but but and manipulative, mm. and I I guess I wanted a moment of uh, that we can't control, you know, that we can frame but we can't control.
1: Mm-hmm. Is that um, like that excites me, and so it it sounds like you're saying. I mean, and maybe it's really just that Broadway wasn't ready to have that because it is such a commercial model and it is um, kind of a standardization. And yeah, a... I
2: question that. But but yeah, I think I think the circumstances of our rehearsal process was just never going to allow it to be easy.
1: Will you do it somewhere <laughs> again? Because I think it's an exciting thing to to bring to an audience to make them have to actively engage. I will say that I saw that play. Uh, what was it called?
2: Uh, the uh, Irish the play. The Irish one. I, I can't remember, I can but remember. I, I, I liked <laughs> the, it. The ferryman. The ferryman.
1: And um, I was not in awe of them. I was like, there's a baby at the edge of the stage. But the baby rolls over. What is going on? Uh, there's baby. Oh, so you were concerned. About I was the like, baby. The, yeah. there's a baby on the, on the edge of the yeah. freaking well, stage. I did
2: like that she walked down those steps, those giant steps holding that baby. I was like, ooh, that's dangerous. Okay, all right then, you know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But I, it
1: wasn't a ooh uh, moment for me. It was like, okay, okay, yeah. what's going to happen? Yeah. Yeah, for me, it was yeah, yeah. like a what's going to happen. And yeah. and what I loved about that play is we had our bunny rabbit. We had a real, <laughs> what was it, a, a swamp, a goose.
2: Know. You know,
1: we had a fire. Like, that's what I loved about that play. It was uh, like, yeah, this is some real stuff that's happening here.
2: <laughs> <laughs> they brought the real stuff
0: in
2: there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To mm-hmm. me, it was just framed a little bit too too much mm. <laughs> I, or controlled a little too much. I don't know. Maybe your night the baby cried. Did the baby cry?
1: I saw it a couple times, and the baby did not ever cry mm-hmm. when I was there. Yeah, they um, trained that baby. What they do you? How do you train a baby?
2: They, I, did, they did some techniques. I, I, Are you told kidding me? They did some techniques to like, to like get the baby comfortable in front of an audience, and to da 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 you know. And, and, and you all
1: didn't have time to train your baby.
2: Uh, <laughs> I didn't want us to train the baby. I wanted us to train the actors how to deal with the baby. <laughs> You a, need to they, have gone and got that little,
1: that little baby from the ferryman and put some blackface on it. Oh, Jesus. It <laughs> could have been like Cynthia Nixon going from one theater to the other. Yeah, we should have done <laughs> Because your play was that a would short have been play, a mi- and then he could have gone back and done his little part in act. If we had done
2: that, we'd still be running. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God! <laughs> but anyway, yeah i mean it's in the script so hopefully people will do it you know yeah. i mean you know how it is on broadway people do things on broadway and then that says the president and then you've got to fight <laughs> the way that your play has been rewritten by people that aren't you <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> for the rest of the plays. For the existence. rest, you yeah. know
1: cheryl west told me her play jar the floor people kept wanting to bring it to new york not even to broadway and she was like this play is paying my mortgage. Just playing the regions for five years it is playing my mortgage. I do not wish to, you know, affect my livelihood yeah. by somebody in New York saying something bad about it. And now oh, it's been said. Now we don't want to do your play anymore. Yeah. It's a play that's doing so well. And it's it's an unfortunate yeah. thing. It's
2: interesting. Yeah. My play here uh, has had, I think, 72 productions now. Um, around the world, and uh, I have made more, way more money off of that than I did working on Broadway. But even before it had all those productions, I made more money off of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess having a uh, an off Broadway play at Playwrights Horizons is more lucrative than Broadway. <laughs> Because I mean, on Broadway, everybody wants a piece of the pie, so you're gonna give this percentage and this percentage and this percentage. Even the guild wants you to give them a percentage mm, <laughs> when really? you're on Broadway. Oh yeah, wow. and they all take it from the playwright's salary, not the producer's salary from the playwrights. Wow.
1: salary.
2: <laughs> it's amazing. It wow. Really is amazing.
1: And someone was telling me recently about like, in sometimes on Broadway, you have to the playwright has to give a percentage to the directors too.
2: Well, well George and uh, George Wolf, and um, who's the other one?
1: Joe Mantello.
2: Um, yeah, Joe Mantello are the two that demand that you know, okay. and they and they justify it by saying that they're really working as dramaturgical directors, so it's their I guess it's their drama dramaturgy fee. But I wouldn't choose to do that again because I just I made so little. You know, I worked for a year and had to say no to everything. I mean, luckily I got a fancy grant, so I'm fine. But um, but I had to say no to everything uh, while I was working on that and. Uh, Contractually, you know, I couldn't work in New York City. Uh, oh. other, th- other than that, and um, and I'm and then I had to, um, <laughs> I had to cut my salary even and all my royalties and everything. So, oh. so it was definitely it was a, a learning.
1: The school of, of hard knocks experience. It's an expensive. you know, the School of bourgeois
2: hard knocks.
1: <laughs> you know, I think that people are so. I think sometimes I feel like we want the romance of things and that we aren't even interested in the reality of it it's like the fact that people think you're on Broadway it's fabulous it's wonderful and it's like they don't care about the reality that you could make a lot of money in the regions and around the world like but you're on Broadway' yeah. isn't enough or like I'm on Broadway but we lost all the money but you were on Broadway yeah <laughs> you yeah, know yeah, yeah, yeah. and well, um, and
2: that's the dip diff- like here uh, has a role for a, a, a trans man or a gender queer uh, actor and so it's been done 72 times by 72 different trans men or uh, gender queer actors have played the role. And a vast majority of them uh, have never had access to their professional theater in their town. Mm. So that's not the kind of thing. If it had been on Broadway and been a huge hit, then maybe that would have happened all around the world. But um, but that's, that happened you know. <laughs> that happened. And so I, I don't know. I, I, I think that's I didn't intend for that to happen I didn't set out for that to happen but it's this beautiful um result of of writing this play and and playwrights horizons doing it and everybody then wanting you know that that, that weird thing that happens where somebody in new york does a play and then everybody wants to
1: do yeah, it yeah and, and you don't have control over that like it's just it was the moment it was supposed to be a synchronicity yeah. about that
2: yeah it's sweet so uh, that's just to say that really good things can happen from both Broadway and Off Broadway, and 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 and, but Broadway is not the only thing. Nobody knows about the presenting world in the in the actor world in the New York theater world. Very few people are aware of the presenting world. What's which the is, presenting
1: world? So I BAM is presenting a presenting
2: world. house for the okay. most part. They're I think they're getting into producing now, but um, uh, so there are all these festivals all around the world, and they they're doing all the incredible work. Um, it's where Robert Wilson and. And listen to Childs and and uh, um, Philip Glass and all of them. You know, would work. And it's where I work primarily. It's uh, just touring the world, doing playing these gorgeous theaters, uh, pre- performing in the presenting world. And you do a couple shows a week. And
1: <laughs> but do do you have to fund that yourself, or are the presenters providing the finances to bring you there and put your show up?
2: It depends on the on the. Um, Uh, it depends on the festival or the presenter. So uh, with something like 24 Decade, I work with a production company called Pomegranate Arts, and they did Einstein on the Beach, and they're just wonderful. They're they're family. And they, um, so they produce, and then the presenter, we were just at the Berliner Fischbühle in Berlin, and and the Berliner Fischbier kind of joined with them because Twenty Four Decade is so huge to make that all happen. So it's um, it's kind of a co production. I mean, we produce the show, we make the show, and then they they kind of are responsible for housing and and. Um, the Berliner for housing and, and paying salaries and all that kind of stuff sometimes they just give you a big blanket fee and then you have to figure out how to divide it up uh and sometimes they provide more than that you know so something like the under the radar festival at the public is 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 working under a presenting model um uh you know and there's there's pros and cons to it because you you kind of have to make it yourself and you don't um, a lot of people don't have a lot of support, don't have producers to help them do that. But if you have a producer, or you are a producer and you and you make it, there's, it, it's, it gives you more power over the art. Um, uh, you don't have to put up with a, a, a can I say bullshit? You
1: can.
2: <laughs> you don't have to put up with a smidgen of the bullshit that you have to put up with when you're working um, in neoliberal uh, American theater. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: Uh And Kate told me that actually Gary was written for her and Christine and you to do. Uh,
2: (laughs) Well, I mean, I wouldn't say it wasn't written for, for Kate, but it was, but I cast her in the first reading and I love her and I think she's wonderful uh, But that you intended
1: that to be an of color person and that you were going to play Gary.
2: Uh, I was supposed to play Gary. I wrote Gary for myself. Uh, I wrote Janice for Christine and, uh. And uh, and I wa- and I wasn't sure what I was really doing with Carol. You know, I was try- I was experimenting with Carol, and I was trying to figure it out. Um, I didn't know. Uh, part of the character is is. Uh, the fragility of white guilt mm. so I wasn't sure how if that if casting a person of color would change that narrative to a degree that I didn't like you know or if I needed to let go of that narrative just so that I didn't have a um, all-white cast <laughs> which I don't like Can I you, you
0: know a I have the uh, the building manager here to so okay. figure it out where the noise is
1: from. Okay. Time. Okay, sure. She's like contacted the building manager. Uh, <laughs> amazing. I like these pants. May I touch them? Yes, please. It's not like me touching your hair but I wanted to know
2: <laughs> what the fabric was. You cut your hair. I did. Yeah, I'd after playing a that zombie him. because I was oh. like, uh,
1: hey. From the wall, so my desk, Hi. Like There's someone drilling right above us? Okay, yeah. Thank I mean, you. Like, Okay. Thank you. <laughs>
2: they might be done.
0: <laughs>
1: Wouldn't that be lovely? Know. They were going at it, though. <laughs> they were going at it. Should we keep going? Yeah. Oh. Um, so, what? you know, I understand the Broadway things, but I want to understand it from yeah. you, the artist's point of view. I mean, at the point that Gary was going to Broadway, you're a MacArthur genius. You've won awards all over the, the decision to not have you in the lead. You're, you're a force in and of itself.
2: Well, yeah, uh, you know, it, it was presented to me that uh, uh, the producer didn't feel that um, this was the kind of play that would succeed without
1: stars. Without at, a star person, which is this new thing, you've got to be a TV star or a movie star or something in order to sell tickets on Broadway yeah, kind of thing, this new yeah. model we have. And that's, it's, it's not
2: invalid, Okay. that uh that for a play consideration particularly. for a brand new play that's a little tricky <laughs> You know, a little, I don't think it's that untraditional because it seems to me very Greek. You know, right. I was like, this is just Aristophanes, you know, combining verse and, and lowbrow humor and highbrow humor and squishing them in the same play is, is, is Elizabethan, is every, you Agreed. know, is like everything that we've, we say is theater is supposed to be. So, Agreed. so I don't, uh, I didn't see it tricky that way, but, um. But uh, Rudin felt uh, that it was it was a tricky one and that it would need a star, and so I I made the choice. It was my choice. You know, I could have said no. I'm going to do this uh, at the Hero Arts Center where I, oh, I was originally going to do it, um, or and and play the lead. Uh, and and I thought, you know. Um, these opportunities don't come around every day and uh, I've never done this thing before and I wrote this play and I can do it again in the future. I'm not going to age out of the part. And so I said, why not? And, you know, I'm a talent whore. So I, I love a talented person and when Nathan Lane was suggested, I think he's, you know, extraordinarily talented and um, and I like learning from watching as well. So I just thought, well, why not do this? Why not? Why not have Nathan Lane play it? And I also remember Terrence McNally one time saying, when they made the movie of the Rink, um, he demanded that it be all people that you know ha- had been in the play on Broadway and stuff, and um, and they were like, no, 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 we want it to be you know Barbara Streisand and this person and that person and and and. He, he was like, no, no, it must be the original people, you know. And, and that was great of him. Um, and at the same time, he was expressing a little regret. He was like, it would have been fabulous <laughs> to have Barbara <Marvice laughs> Streisand in my movie, you know. So, you know, there was this that part of my voice was going, uh, well, why don't you just see? I, I know what it's like to work with me, but I don't know what it's like to work with Nathan Lane and, and to absolutely. see that happen. Um, so it was a fascinating experience. Uh, you know, I, I definitely... Uh, don't want to, I mean, so this is the thing I learned on Broadway, uh, off, off Broadway is basically the same. <laughs> so, uh, I, I, was told that, uh, they, uh, they didn't want to produce the play, uh, without a star, uh, on Broadway. And then off, off Broadway, I was told, uh, they, they couldn't produce it with me because I'm equity. <laughs> my a different play of mine and uh they they were a non-equity company and so both experiences i was told i i can't be in the play that uh, for the part that i wrote for myself <laughs> if wow. they're going to do it you know and it's my choice to either go down that road with them or to not and in both cases i i've chosen to go down the road right. you know so yeah. that's i don't i don't have any uh Resentment for that, but I did have a little bit of jealousy when I saw my friend Heidi Shrek, you know, go from off off Broadway to off Broadway to Broadway with her entire company for what the Constitution means to me and have a great success. There was this part of me that was like, oh, I wish people would just—I wish I would have just demanded people take a chance on me. You know, I did have that regret. But and I'm, I'm blabbing because I had coffee. But uh, I also don't think Gary was the kind of play that would have transferred. You know, I think it would have had its run off, off Broadway, maybe transferred to off Broadway, but it wouldn't have transferred to the, um, any, any more than that. Um, and because I'm just, I'm not, I'm not telling stories that are supporting the status quo. Mm. And that's <laughs> like, well, there's it was that. the only play on Broadway that wasn't centered around a status quo.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, there's that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's that. There's that winner's take all, like, you know. Yeah, I mean I I, I love Hamilton. I've seen it thirteen times. Uh, but I know. you know it's and wonderful. Hamilton I, uh... preceded the movie Get Out, but in hindsight I'm like, it's get out. <laughs> <laughs> it's get- out. It's it is get, get out. out. It's, get it's out. like white people inhabiting black people's bodies. It's get out.
2: It's get out. It's get out. And I was yeah. like,
1: oh shit. Yeah. I love it, but it is get out. I know. Well, that's how they
2: <laughs> trick. You. That's how they get you. They they give you some amazing s- songs and amazing lyrics and they and um, incredible polish. You know, an amazing said, it's the most, talent it's the and most I've... polished uh, piece of Broadway I've ever seen. I, 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 I love I think it. It's remarkable. Remarkable. I love it. it, but. And, it's, it's about how great capitalism is. <laughs> and
1: how great white people are. The white people who were slaveholders who founded our country. I mean, that's one of the stories. <laughs> no, that's there's a lot of stories, stories. But, you know, like in yeah, the mixtape, yeah, yeah. you got the the song that, you know, didn't make it to Broadway or even to off-Broadway about, you know, what they were going to do with the slaves, which the plan was at first to send them all back to Africa. And then Frederick Douglass was like, no, <laughs> no, we are as American, as anybody is American. And he believed that if we fought in the war, then that would make our claim to citizenship. It did not. It just meant that there would be generations of brown people who would be cannon fodder. But Frederick Douglass really believed that, you know, if we fight for this land, then that secures our claim for citizenship because being born here certainly did not. Freaking Frederick <laughs> Douglass. So that that
2: was in the original show, and they cut it for. There's for a whole song reason. about
1: this argument about you know what are we going to do about the slaves? What are we going to mm-hmm. do about the slaves? And the, they're basically agreement to postpone thinking about that for some time. It's a, it's a great little little. It's yeah. like one of those um, but, uh, you know, one of the those con- congressional congresses where they're having the arguments. It's one of those kind yeah. of
2: yeah. But kind putting that argument in the in the in brown bodies. Uh, Makes it performance art, <laughs> mm. not not a musical on Broadway, mm. right? Right. Then then it becomes oh, oh where where the
1: deconstruction right.
2: of it suddenly? Yeah. It's, what's happening? You know. <laughs> so they had to cut that.
1: Well, yeah, yeah. You might be right about that. I don't know, but I don't you can know. get was, it on the mixtape.
2: I wasn't a fly on the wall, so I, right. I don't know why right. they did things, but
1: yeah. And there are people who are actually changing their name in order to have names of people of color in order to be in the show. I actually have, you know, I go and see it because I really love it and I love seeing all these young people coming up and getting these opportunities. And I saw it on the road with a a girl who had, uh, you can still see her entire internet history as who she really is, but now she has a Latina last name. So So it's like, hey, you know.
2: look good
1: (laughs) i don't know if it's it's good it's get out uh, well
2: that yeah 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 Yeah. oh is she a white woman yeah oh oh i thought she was
1: no No, she's a white woman who gave herself a latina name so she could be in camilton and you can still see the footprint online of who she really is oh no yes she's out on tour she's wonderful but it's like (sighs) You know, people like, Mm -hmm. I want to be in that show. Can we have one damn show?
2: Well I I tell this story in twenty four decade too where this woman I was in Minneapolis and this woman she was like, Why do you have to dress like you dress? And you know, in my drag, she saw a performance of mine and, and she was drunk and she was a board member and she was, you know, ah and she said, Why don't you have such a good voice. You should be on Broadway, you should be in Hamilton. <laughs> I was like, um, <laughs> I, maybe you're saying I should play the king. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Like, you should be. Yeah. She she literally said this. You should be in something. Uh, why do you have to talk about politics? You should be in something fun like Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you do realize the whole show is about politics. Yeah. <laughs> but she did not realize that. No.
1: Now it was just like, I got to see those singing and dancing darkies. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I didn't say it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, sometimes that's what it feels like a little bit.
1: (sighs) So are you fiending for a Broadway again?
2: Oh, sure. I mean, I would do it uh, in a heartbeat. (laughs) You don't uh...
1: sound like, oh, yeah, I can't wait to get back.
2: Well, you know, it's just like, it's that thing of once you do it, you break the seal and then you can decide if you want to do it. You don't have that 14-year-old going, you have to do this thing. That desperation goes away. So now I I have, now if somebody approaches me and they say, you want to do Broadway, but you can't be in your own show. I could be like, no, (laughs) I've done that, been there, didn't work out for me so much. (laughs) Or it worked out in some ways and didn't in other ways. And so I can make that choice instead of... um, instead of living in, in that um, uh, longing, you know.
1: I think that's a maturity issue that a yeah, lot of people probably. don't understand that oftentimes, in the, in, to me in the good way, when you get the thing you've longed for, mm-hmm. whether it goes well or doesn't go well, hopefully you get the maturity that the next time it comes around, you have an option of choice rather than being led by a compulsion
2: yeah and and i I suppose the, the the there's this side of me that um judges my behavior and my decisions because I'm why do I have to um, learn by why can't I you know make those ethical choices before you know and of course I do all the time but but in this particular instance i uh I wanted that. I wanted the Absolutely. experience. I, or, you know, to quote Hamilton, I wanted well, to be in the room where it happens. Exactly. And then I turned and turned out, oh, the room is not as interesting as this other room I, <laughs> I right. created. I mean, the thing that I found fascinating about the Broadway experience is it was a, a three character play, 90 minutes long, uh, and 24 decade. It's 200 people in it, uh, it's 24 hours long. Um, and we worked on it for about, well, now we're going on 10 years, uh, and Gary was worked on for a year, you know, and, uh, there was... Um, just like an inch of drama on 24 decade mm. yeah, over all those years hardly any drama no drama and I carry a three character play 90 minutes more drama than I've ever had in my entire life and so it really tells me oh the the room can be different you can create a room that doesn't have all that high drama but you have to you have to figure it out you know not that the drama is always bad because sometimes the drama leads you to epiphany a catharsis you know but but um, but you can figure out a a a, a working structure that is uh, at least gives you your joy, you know.
1: Two things I want to say that came up while I was listening to you. One is there's that thing that goes um, experience is something you get just after you need it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I have this theory about those. Um, Big rooms, uh-huh. those big rooms, and and my theory is kind of in that winners take all thing that um, the drama is currency in uh, those rooms, huh. and yes, um, it is. And it and, is. and and um, the people who um, can spend the currency of that are the puppet masters, uh-huh. the, the rulers, and yeah. so um, the people who bring the drama. That is a sign that you can be controlled. And so you are of great value because I know what buttons to push. I know what I need to do to get you to do what I want. I know how to Hmm. pacify you. Mm -hmm. But coming into those rooms with clarity and a lack of drama, um, that's actually kind of a frightening and a scary thing. Like if you actually walk in those rooms and you know what you want or that is like, oh, that's difficult. Like if you want, if you're mm-hmm. like a drug addict, we'll get you some drugs or you cry all the time. We can handle like you scream at people. Fabulous. We know exactly how to push your buttons to get you to show up and pay and, and, and make and make money for us. That's yeah my observer experience of, you know. People who are incredibly talented but bring a lot of damn drama, and I'm like, and I'm diff- Tanya. Think it's as difficult. You have, n- I don't bring drama into the room, but you know, there's just yeah. lines you're not going to cross with me. Yeah, yeah. I, I, we're not, yeah, we're not yeah. going to cross them. That's, that's difficult. Yeah, not drama. I, my drama stays on the stage. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> it's not happening backstage. <laughs> Amazing.
2: <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, you were there that night. I I exploded that night uh, that you came, and I've never done that in all of my time. It was and
1: probably necessary.
2: It was necessary. I, I had some stuff that I was squashing down for months and months and months, and um, I, I I don't like that feeling. I mean, I, I but I, what I learned was that uh, that the the drama is currency. That it ins- it is uh, that. The way that some of it was working out, the process was working out was that um, the the bigger drama <laughs> was the bigger disaster was the thing that got the attention. Mm-hmm. And so if i if in order to <laughs> in order to solve the problem that I was having, <laughs> I had to create a bigger drama right than no, what that's everyone real and else was creating. That is real and it, it was an ugly feeling but um but it got the result that is real It was the first time and it, and it broke and then and then things got better after that actually so no, it that's was real a too. lesson, too but I don't really want to have it's to not be a in good a feeling like that. and
1: see for me as a black woman uh-huh, right. it's like people are always trying to push me to that uh-huh. and I can't go there because then I'm a trope right you know what I'm saying <laughs> but they always trying to push me to that they want me to cuss somebody out. i it's like nope uh-huh. I have not ever given anybody that yeah. because then they can write me off then they know who I am then I'm predictable so it's almost like a point of honor that that is something you will never be able to say about me.
2: Uh-huh. But I yeah. think it
1: has to do with being in this body. Yeah. That I, I don't get to do that. Because I can read it. Robin talks filth. about
2: you get one time. For, well, for, well, for, for.
1: George will tell you that. You yeah. have to have that. Pick that moment when you're going to have that fit. Yeah. And yeah, yes. Well,
2: one fit. So that's what I had. I had my one fit. Right. But, no, you do not have, have that you know, moment. As, as a person of color, I think, think you, you really only get one well, fit. Well, I did. Time. I had
1: my one time. It was Mother Courage.
2: Did you? But it wasn't yeah.
1: a cussing anybody out. It was just a. But that was that was unconscious.
2: I mean, I don't I don't know what the process was like for you, but it was it was an unconscious um, uh, concept, <laughs>
1: <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, <laughs> like, to say the least. And it's been you know, Brandon Jacob Jenks and I are working on a new Mother Courage. Oh, you are okay um, because I I'm a mother, uh-huh. and so I have such a deep first of all i love brecht and i have i feel such a deep yeah you're to like material. exactly the kind
2: of actor that should be doing Brecht.
1: <laughs> but i disagree with pretty much everybody's interpretation of it oh yeah was well, so, everybody's so, interpretation everybody's translation and so we're like going so back to the german boring. and mining it and trying to figure <laughs> out like to me the power of that text is brecht took this thing that is so mundane to most people in the world but every mother is living it everywhere in the world. Uh, You bring these beings into the world that you would die for. hmm. You spend your life trying to protect them, but the fact is they do not belong to you, and they can make decisions that will cost them their life. And you would do anything to keep that from happening, but ultimately it's just not in your hand. And that's every mother every day, but when you set it in a war, the stakes become really high. And I feel like nobody deals with that. Nobody deals with it. This is about children trying to individuate and a mother going, no, there's a fucking war. You can die, which is what we are also dealing with every day in the world as mothers, Mm -hmm. you know. And nobody plays the play for that. This relationship that every single one of us actually goes through, period. Every Uh human being has to go through that relationship (laughs) unless you're orphaned very early. And then you're going through it with somebody who stepped in and was that for you.
2: Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I want to see it. I hope um, you guys finish it. If I hope we make do it. it. I hope
0: you do it. <laughs> if we make it.
1: This is Tanya Pinkins. Thank you for listening to part one of my interview with Taylor Mac. Part two is coming up next.